All right, ladies and gentlemen, Leafs Nation specifically, this is one you want to sit down and put your feet up for. None other than Paul Hendricks joining us today. We all know him as Henny. He was the voice that guided us into so many Leaf games and interviews. He is sitting down with us today. Paul, how are you doing? Very well. Thanks very much. Uh, visiting some family uh, out on the West Coast and uh, enjoying the weather that's uh, been offered and uh, getting a chance uh, still to, to follow this hockey team, uh, you know, the blue and white, rather closely. And uh, just uh, it's been an interesting season, to say the least, uh, the as they go through ups and downs of what inevitably is uh, a tough, tough league on many, many nights. But uh, I like the talent that's on this Maple Leaf team as much as I've liked of any team I've covered in, in 25 years. And uh, I think they're going to be okay. Well, you look at this squad, and I mean, you look at all the teams you've covered throughout your career for the Toronto Maple Leafs and, you know, different versions of them. This by far probably has to be one of the most talent-laden teams, at least up front, um, you know, that's not to snub your nose at the blue line or, or the goaltenders, but, you know, the forward group that we have here in Toronto is, to me, one of the best in the NHL. And I'm wondering for you, you've got to see a lot of guys come through Toronto, you know, the McGillneys, the Sundines, uh, you name them. Uh, for you, is this one of the most talented groups you've seen in, in terms of skill-wise? Yeah, I think it is. And, and I think what separates this group from some of the names you've just mentioned is the fact that this group uh, is just really getting started. Uh, they're in their early 20s. They're, they're south of 25, all of those young guys. And that's, you know, William, Austin, and Mitch. And then you balance it out with John Tavares, who, of course, um, you know, is in the 30 uh, suburbs. And and, um, and and the rest of the, the, the team that they've got, you know, lines one through four, this, this is a balanced group. But you look at the top of that group, and it is truly, truly elite with what they're able to do. And I know in my podcast, the first question, I had Steve Simmons on uh, a few weeks ago, noted Toronto Sun national columnist, and, and we talked about Legends Row, and I said, you know, do you see any of this current group possibly making the grade at some point later on in their careers and extending Legends Row by a player or two? And he automatically said Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner uh, because of the incredible talent they have. And if there's longevity in their careers to stay with this team for a long time, uh, then most definitely they're going to be in a position to, to establish records and, and set a tempo for what uh, will provide them a chance to, to join that illustrious company uh, on the current bench outside Scotiabank Arena right now. No, I can definitely see a Mitch Marner or an Austin Matthews. And it goes back to two as well. If they end up bringing a cup to Toronto, you might as well build the statues now because people will be loving them for forever. I mean, you look at least players that have come through the city and the love is still there, you, whether it's a Wendell Clark, Doug Gilmore, uh, even Thomas Caverlet, you name it. These guys are all, you know, very well regarded from, you know, the fan base and everything like that. Um, I, I want to touch on John Tavares for a second. I mean, a lot of big free agent names have signed with Toronto over the years, you look at the guys like Francois Beauchemin or the day we got Shane Corson and Gary Roberts, um, you know, guys come to Toronto. But for John Tavares, it was different. It was that marquee name, a name that, you know, usually doesn't move. You know, a captain of a team, drafted by that team, you know, superstar in the NHL, and he did make the move to Toronto. Um, for you, was that one of the biggest signings for the Maple Leafs? And was that one of the more exciting ones for you to kind of sink your teeth into when that happened? Well, I think without a doubt, and <clears throat> excuse me, as I clear my throat, I apologize for that, but we were up at uh, a summer place we have just north of Toronto, about two hours north, and we knew the more you didn't hear as to where John was going to go when he was interviewing all those other teams uh, via a process that took place with his agency out in Los Angeles, you knew that day uh, specifically that there's a chance he's actually going to come to Toronto. And uh, I, I headed south immediately uh, to be in a position that, you know, if the call came that, hey, we've got a press conference coming up uh, in, in X number of hours, I'd be ready. And, and literally, I'm on my way down south, uh, the two-hour drive, and the news comes out, boom, he has signed with the Maple Leafs. I think it was a huge decision for him. I don't think it was easy leaving the island. Uh, John is a loyal, loyal guy. But loyalty as well also pertains to his family. 
Uh, he's from you know the Mississauga Oakville area. Uh, it was a chance to come home and play on a team that possibly has an opportunity to win a Stanley Cup. But when you just look at some of the names we've just mentioned and how young they were, this is two years ago. These guys now uh, are all in their fifth year in the National Hockey League. So, you know, you, you roll the dice from in, in that regard. But it was a chance for him to come home, a chance for him to play on a really good hockey team. And for him to make the decision to turn, I, I hate to use the term turn his back uh, on the island. He didn't. It, 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 was an, it was an opportunity for him to go. He gave all he had to the island. But this is business. I know it's a game. I know fans are fans. But it's a business for those involved. And, and that decision had to be respected. And he made it. And, and yes, I would think in the 25 years that uh, I had a chance to, to cover this hockey club uh, very closely, um, this was by far the biggest news. Um, you know, I, I just wish we still had uh, Nazem Kadri uh, as well. I'm not sure how well Nazem would have liked being relegated to third-line center status. Uh, I, I'm sure he wasn't happy with it, but I would love to have seen how he would have intermixed with this current group as well. Uh, that said, he's gone, and uh, when you can count on Austin Matthews and uh, John Tavares as your top two centers, you've got a good hockey club. No, definitely. I want to oh, touch on Nazem Kadri in a couple of moments here because I do want to pick your brain on him. But... Um, mm-hmm. You talked about the fact, you know, he did not. You can't say he turned his back. You're right. He gave it all he could, and you know, he made a decision for himself, his family, and at the end of the day, it is business. I'm wondering for you, you know, seeing what happened when he went back. Um, obviously, he had to expect it. Uh, the, you know, the Leafs would have expected it. Um, yeah. But I'm wondering, you know, how would that impact John? We all know how he is. He's kind of stoic um, at times. You don't get a lot of emotion out of him. When you do. Um, you know, you, everybody plays that clip with him and Austin Matthews and Elliot Friedman, you know, where they have that laugh and chuckle. Um, you know, that's kind of the most we've got to laugh or whatever when you see it. Um, but for him, how much do you think that impacted him going back and just the viciousness of the fans there and the way it was treated? And, you know, how much he said, you know, he loved it there and he poured his heart and soul into it and he was ready to start a new chapter. But obviously the fans were not uh, not on board with that. Obviously they're passionate, but... I think it was a, a little overkill, but I'm wondering, from your perspective covering it and seeing John, how do you think that impacted him? Well, I'll tell you. In my 25 years of covering that club and pretty much having been to most away games during that time, not all of them, but most of them, I can only recall two occasions where going back into a building uh, stood out for me. One was the first game back in December of the year following the, the Darcy Tucker hit on Michael Packer. Island, there we are, fans vicious. It was vicious even for, for the announcers. I was hosting that game on TSN, and the vitriol that was thrown down my way as I'm getting ready to do my opening live uh, from the Zamboni entrance was incredible, something I'll never forget. But I think you can take that and multiply it by 10, and is what we had the night John returned with the Maple Leafs. Um, just walking from the Marriott Hotel across the parking lot to the arena. They had started to tailgate mid-afternoon, and by the time the game started, um, they were fueled uh, and ready to, 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 to burn the place down. Uh, and I, I applaud that passion, as John does. That's what makes Islander fans so special. But it got it got vicious. It got ridiculous. You come, combine the fact that the Leafs had played the night before, uh, didn't get in, to Long Island until early in the morning uh, and have to put up with that and take on an Islander team that hadn't played, I think, in four days. Um, they just had nothing in their legs, and the Islanders just threw everything at them, motivated by what the fans were doing and, 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 and all that. And, you know, a few weeks later, the Leafs come back in there. John scores the game-winning goal, and the Leafs beat the Islanders. So I, I think it was a combination of circumstances, but it was a wild, wild time. And you know, to, to ask do you think it impacted John? Sure. Even a veteran guy like him who's been through so much and is so mature, um, it's impossible to not have gone into that situation, have been the center of that attention, and not have had it impact you um, emotionally, obviously, physically, but certainly emotionally. No, definitely. I, and I do think, and I applaud him, he handled it in stride. Um, you know, there was a lot thrown his way verbally and also physically with things that were thrown towards him and I'm glad that, you know, came out of it, 
relatively unscathed. It's memories that you'll have. And, but at the same time, like you said, it's the passion that fuels it. And that's why, you know, people are fans of teams that they get attached and to see your captain leave, I can understand, but the over the topness is a little much. And you just touched on the, um, you know, the Darcy Tucker incident, Another one for me that really stands out, um, I think you will remember this too, is the Ty Domi hit uh, against uh, Niedermeyer with the Devils. Um, yeah. That was another one that was uh, huge news and absolute vitriol from the fans, just viciousness. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and well-deserved, right? If, if you're a Jersey fan, if, if, if that happens on a member of the Maple Leafs, the Leafs nation <laughs> would not be pleased. Uh, and, and certainly... Uh, I mean, you know what? It's a fine line between control and contempt. Darcy Tucker played that way his entire career. Now, you can argue Nazem Kadri, same deal. You're not going to remove that from the personality of those players. And the same goes for Kai, who stood up on so many occasions to, to help his teammates be bigger and better, especially in some tough buildings like Philadelphia. Um, you know, Ty was not a heavyweight. Ty's a small guy. He's thick, but he's not a big guy compared to some of the other heavyweights out there, but he took them all on. So um, as difficult as that moment was, and I wish he hadn't done it because I really thought it was a a game changer in terms of how that series evolved from there. It was, um, yeah. I'm going to look at the big picture and just say, uh, Ty, I'm going to, you're getting a mulligan on that because of, of all the other nights and our sons played hockey together in suburban Toronto many many years ago my son Michael and his son Max and I remember sitting with his wife Leanne uh, 7 a.m. in Port Credit Arena and she had a worried look in her face uh, and I go what's going on and she said oh, Ty's, Ty's got to go for sure at least twice tonight and, and I go really like I mean you know that already sure enough they fought each other twice that night and she was worried for him I mean Donald Brashear's a big man yeah and, but her you know her husband you know Van husband knows what he's doing he's a skilled he's a skilled fighter he knows how to move and how to to to, to motivate and in motion the opponent in various areas to get his best punch in and even then leanne was exceptionally nervous um so uh, Ty's given and given and given all he could. And you look at him now, <laughs> there's not a mark on his face. He's He's got an incredible, incredible <laughs> head. Um, but that 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 deal back against Jersey and the Leafs were in control of the series at that point. And then it just, that was it, <clears throat> you know, and, and they lost the series. You know, you can argue Nazem as well and uh, some of the, some of the uh, play against Boston and, and how it, you know, he got himself suspended and how it might have cost the Leafs in that regard. And, and, I mean, not totally. I mean, there was goaltending and all other things involved here um, and give the Bruins credit for what they were able to do as well. Um, but I'm not going to fault Nas or certainly not Ty for, for what went on and you just take it as, as part of a package, right, guys? That's how I look back on that Ty hit um, back against Jersey. And there was all Samuelson as well. Uh, it was just a regular season game against the Rangers, but the entire league cheered when Ty did that. Yeah, I, I remember uh, hearing that somewhere else, actually. I think it was on uh, Hockey Central, 31 Thoughts. I think the entire league got up and clapped for that one. Um, not yeah. too many times that everybody comes together over something, but that was one of them. Um, but we mentioned Nazem a few times. I want to ask the question before we talk about the player. Um, do you think what happened you know, during the playoffs both times, Henny, that that is ultimately what got him put into a trade deal to have him first in a deal for Brody and then out to Barry? Or do you think the writing was already on the wall before that point? Because it seemed like they brought Nazem Kadri along so far, you know, and from when Shanahan first got there to the time he left, you know, he became more defensively responsible, standing up for players, um, you know, doing all the things you'd want that player to do. Um, but ultimately it ended up in a trade. I'm just wondering, do you think that factored in at all to the decision-making of the Maple Leafs? I don't know for a fact. Uh, I've never been told otherwise, but I would have to assume that, you know, they, they looked at, at, at those antics in a specific series that, you know, that went seven games. And, and having had Nazem in the lineup as opposed to out of the lineup um, might have made the difference certainly might have made the difference so you know when you trade a, a, a center 
who could be arguably a first-line center, but, you know, say second-line center making, like, $4 million, you hate to part with with something like that, and especially a player that you've developed right from the get-go. They drafted him, yep. you know, in Montreal in 2009, and, and, you know, we talked about Brandon Shanahan coming on board and, and the impact uh, Shani would have had on, on Nazem's pendulum of maturity off the ice. Uh, there was an incident where he came in late, uh, after a Saturday game, uh, Peter Horacek, the interim head coach, and, and Nas, you know, was the hour change night, and he came in late, and they just sent him home. And I think that was a moment of reckoning for Nazem. I think Nazem's uh, parents, and especially his dad, Sam, would have had uh, a few words with, uh, with their son. Uh, and Nazem, I think, from that point on, it was a crossroads in his career, um, just went the other way. In, in maturity, anyway, I mean, I'm not standing on a high mighty pulpit here. Uh, you know, uh, God, I've, I've had my my times too growing up, as all of us have had. Yep. Uh, but Nazem, for him, it turned himself uh, around and went in a completely different direction. Uh, he's a family man now. Like we all mature, and it's all point in time. Uh, I still wish he was here. Uh, I, I know Leafs Nation still wishes he was here. Oh yeah. But I, I but I do think that. You know, in surmise, and I'm not accurate because I've never been told that, but I'm sure, um, you know, the suspensions against the Boston Bruins and how it impacted those series um, did have a role uh, on him getting traded. Uh, and, and again, I go back to, you know, the big picture implications of, of he staying and they got, you know, JT. Uh, Nazem's now your third center, but that's a pretty good hockey team uh, in that scenario. I'm not quite sure how Nazem would have reacted to that but that being said um uh, you know to get back to the question yeah i think it had an impact on him being traded and if the leafs aren't able to win the cup uh if there's another team i'd like to see win the cup it's colorado and it's because nazim's playing on that squad well i i think it's destined to uh to see a reunite uh between the toronto maple leafs and and nazim kadri uh, down the line um well, i yeah. i think he'll be back well, a lot of things have to happen for that to happen, uh, but never say never. I appreciate your optimism, and I'm sure a lot of hockey fans uh, cheer for the Leafs uh, do as well. Well, you look at the guy like Nazem Kadri, and he's a guy that you could use right now. I mean, yes, he would be anchoring your third line, but just what he brings, you know, physically, what he brings emotion-wise, um, I've said it many times, and he, this team... It seemed up until this year where they've gotten a few more veterans and guys that will draw a line in the sand and then drag the entire team across it. Before it was Hyman and Muzzin. Now you have Hyman, Muzzin, Thornton, uh, Spezza's in that mix, uh, Wayne Simmons, Bogosian. You know, these guys here, you know, challenge you to go beyond and, and when things happen. And I'm wondering, you look at a situation last night with Zach Hyman. Um, and the kneeing from Edler. I mean, obviously Edler was out of the game. There's no way you can really hold him accountable. But you look at a guy like Wayne Simmons, and you say, hey, maybe he should have done something just to set the tone and say, hey, we're not going to take that from anyone. Or is it more last night, you know, you, you sit back and let the game kind of get policed by the refs and, and move forward? I think it's a lot of that kind of thinking. It's a lot of early 2000s where you throw Fraser McLaren and Colton Orr out there. Yep. And you know what? Those days aren't here anymore. I mean, you can count on one hand the number of guys who can do that sort of thing and still find a place to play in the lineup. And, you know, Reeves in Vegas and Tom Wilson in, in Washington, uh, I mean, I can, I'm going to start having to think beyond those guys. But they're, they're in the lineup because they can also play. I mean, Tommy, Tom plays in the Capitals' top line. He's not there to fight. He's there to create space, but he's got great hands. Uh, works hard, all of those things. Um, you just don't have much of that. Now, are there guys on this league team that could maybe take care of matters if it comes to it? And, and, and who knows? It may come to it at another point, and you'll see it. Um, you know, but Simmons, you know, Wayne's coming. He's, he's getting over a busted hand. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I don't see much good uh, in him going out there and risking breaking it again. Uh, it's just like it's not the point. Uh, it was a dirty hit. Um, you can argue any which way depending on what team you're cheering for, but the fact is knee on knee is a dirty hit. Now, the game's played by big men in a confined space 
at a high speed and stuff is going to happen. Uh, I just didn't like it. Um, and would have, we'd like to have seen some retribution, yeah, but I, that horse has been out of the barn for such a long time. And I'm not talking just the Maple Leafs. I'm talking most of the National Hockey League. Yeah. And, and I'll get back to my point. There's just a handful of guys. Uh, and then if you can name more, then go for it. But off the top of my head, I can name just two. The game has changed. If you're playing on the fourth line, you're not there for a staged tussle. You're there uh, to be able to shut down possibly the opposition's top line, be able to, to, to buy your bench 45 to 50 seconds of rest time and, and facilitate a move to the to the next line. And, and still on occasion be able to score a goal and, and, and contribute in killing penalties when, when the time comes. Uh, but the days where, you know, You've got Jay Rosehill, Colton Orr, Fraser McLaren. They're just not they're not around from a Maple Leaf perspective anymore. And, and I think historically, you go back at the ultimate tough guy, maybe possibly skill guy, John Ferguson of the Montreal Canadiens, who scored 20-plus goals on a couple of occasions uh, and never backed off any customers. He was a rarity, rarity, rarity in a league that was so tough back then to find a place not only in the NHL, but on those great Montreal Canadian teams. Uh, but now the game has just all changed, and, um, and, and, and the enforcer role is not really there. You've got guys who can fight, um, but they just don't fight as much as they had to anymore. And, and, I, and um, we may see a fight or two moving forward, but we just... We just don't see many anymore. So, um, no, I wasn't surprised uh, not to see any retribution. But, listen, the game's played in many different ways, and there's opportunities, uh, whether it be this year or next year, uh, that uh, maybe Alex Edler's going to have to uh, uh, meet his maker in one way or another. And if it's not a fight, uh, plays plays take place in the corner as well, and he's going to have to look over his shoulder. No, definitely, and that will happen. I looked at last night's game, and we'll talk about that for just a minute. Um, you look at Vancouver coming back, a team that would be highly motivated, wanting to win, um, probably a lot of excitement to get back on the ice. I know there's a lot of things behind the scenes where the team wanted to make sure they were ready and healthy and you know available to go. Um, you look at the Maple Leafs team coming into that, obviously it seems the Leafs always have a, a, the opportunity to come in when it's either a history-making night or, you know, on the wrong side of something happening, um, you know, in a situation. You look at the Leafs last night, Henny, and, and do you say, you know, they played a great game, but the Vancouver Canucks just wanted it more? Uh, is uh, that where you take it? No, uh, and, and that's a great question, though. Uh, and I say that with all due respect. That game should have been over midway through the second period. And on most nights, if Braden Holtby hasn't put a cape on, that game is over in most nights. And the energy uh, that he provided his teammates up front and kept those legs going, that all of a sudden goes, because Toronto's up 4 or 5 nothing, as it should have been. Um, but you tip your cat to the Canucks in how they played, but more importantly, you tip it to their goaltender who simply stole the game. As Sheldon said post-game, they had, you know, 10... 10 grade A chances uh, and he stopped, we had in terms of voice and he stopped every one of them. Um, you know, Jack Campbell's in a bit of a rough go right now. Um, he, he, those two Horvath goals, he knows they should have been stopped, but this is a tough league and it's a tough league to stay good for a long time. And, you know, he, he won 11 consecutive games and if you were to throw the last few losses consecutively intermixed amongst those 11, we're not even thinking about it. Yeah. Um, so I, I tip my hat to Jack, and and, and he, he's just got to regroup mentally and go from there, and he will. Um, and 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 that's it. But I I think that game should have been over early. Uh, the puck just did not go in the net, and sometimes puck luck does. And when you get that many chances over a course of a, a few games, you're going to win the majority of those games. There's no doubt about it. And they're four points up in the North Division right now. I know they're looking over their shoulders a bit. But there's, what, 10, 11 games left to be played. Um, I think they're going to be fine. And uh, um, yeah, the next one against Vancouver is going to be a lot of fun. But I think you just go out and do what you do. And, uh, and that's the beauty of the National Hockey League, especially in this COVID uh, pandemic season. You get to play every second day pretty much. So bury it, flush it, go back to work. And, uh, and and work on beating Braden Holpe in the next game, which uh, there's enough talent on that league team to get the job done. No, there definitely is. And I, I look at last night and I say, okay, you chalk it up to 
let's move forward. I look at, and exactly what you said, and if you look online and social media is such a, a good thing at times, it can do a lot of good, but it can do a lot of bad. Yeah. And you look at everybody now kind of souring on Jack Campbell, and I'm like, hold on a second. If you were to tell me last season we'd have a backup goaltender when we've been searching for one forever, that would be 11-2-1, I'd be doing a happy dance because we haven't had that since McIntyre uh, was backing up Freddie. And, you know, how long have we cried, you know, through all the different backups that we wanted someone to stabilize that position? And he definitely has done that. I mean... And you're right. If you were to sprinkle in those three losses throughout those eleven, it's it, we wouldn't talk about it at all. Eleven, two, and one, we'd be like, yeah, it's great, absolutely amazing. It's just because they came consecutively, much like his wins. Now everybody's kind of souring. Um, I, I'm not myself. I love Jack. I love the way that he battles in the crease. I love the way that he's uh, unorthodox with some of his saves. He just tries to get something in front of it, and that that makes it interesting to me. I love that. Um, I want to ask you though about the goaltending situation. Um, Freddie Anderson with the team, um, you know, obviously on the ice before practice, working through his injury. When you get to the playoffs, and you may not have an answer for this, but I'm wondering, do you ride the goaltenders in Riddich and Campbell that are hot now, or do you say, hey, this has been Freddie's crease for four years. He's given us absolutely everything he could. This is what he's earned, and he earns the chance to go game one. Well, there's a reason why, you know, they paid him $5 million like five years ago. He's their number one goaltender, and I don't think there's any doubt that if he's healthy, uh, he's going to be given an opportunity to, to get himself uh, back in, and, and he's working hard toward that goal right now to, to get himself back, in, preferably before the postseason, so he can get some games and some rhythm under his belt. Um, I, he's your number one goaltender. Uh, if that's not going to be the case, then you've got to go with the other two guys who, you know, Riddick's been a starter at one point in his career, but relegated to a backup in Calgary and subsequently traded. Uh, same with Jack. I mean, they're there uh, for various reasons. I, I, they're not number ones. Um, do they have a chance to maybe prove that they are? I, I think they do. I think Jack's shown us a tremendous amount in the last year and a bit since he's been with the Maple Leafs, but I, I, I still think uh, the foundation is going to be getting Frederick Anderson back and hopefully up and going and an and, and opportunity for Frederick to to prove that he's capable of guiding this team uh, to that elusive first-round playoff victory and then uh, you know, series win and then go from there. Uh, however, that said, if it's either Jack or David, uh, given the defense in front of them, given the way the team uh, has evolved, especially that core group of young guys, this will be their fifth trip to the NHL postseason, I still think they're good enough to get the job done. And I think either of those other two goalies are, goalies are good enough as well. Um, you just you just cannot let in goals, at, especially at, at key times. Um, I remember John Van Beesbrook, just a tremendous goaltender. I remember the years, you know, at least beating up the Flyers. Um, they won a series, I think, in six games at least did, and, and Beezer's goals against average in that series was 1.96, but it was when he let the goals in. He did not allow his team a chance to come back. Grant Fjord's goals against average, he's in the Hall of Fame. Grant never gave up a tough or bad goal at a critical stage in the game. Never. And, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll say this about Jack and David, I think, they're good enough to help this team win and, and, and win a series and then go from there. But I think the bottom line is you want Frederick Anderson there. Um, he's, he's the number one goaltender, uh, and, and he's earned that and, uh, and will need a chance to, to prove himself again because I know he would like to help this team, especially in a critical stage of his contract, uh, get over the hump. But beyond the business side of the sport, just for himself emotionally, yep prove to himself that he's capable of leading this team. He's got to be healthy to do that. And, uh, you know, fingers crossed that that process obviously has already begun. And at some point in the next three weeks, we're going to see him able to get back in before the regular season wraps up mid-May. And he's able to get some games under his belt and get playoff ready. Because obviously I think that's what management, the coaching staff with this hockey club hopes will happen. No, I definitely hope to see Freddie between the pipes. I, I like, I always root for a story. And, you know, having Freddie, you know, come back and lead this team, hopefully to the promised land of a cup, um, you know, would be an excellent cherry on top for him. But for this group as well, um, you know, 
it's been spoken about how tight-knit this group is in the locker room and how well they all play off each other and you know the emotions there and so long for the Toronto Maple Leafs you know there's been a dark cloud whether it's a contract or you know a coaching issue or something there's been for the past few seasons so for it to be kind of more roses in there and everybody kind of playing for each other that's when a team starts to turn that corner and I want to ask about the addition of Nick Foligno and what he'll bring to this squad you know not only for that but obviously, we talked about players who, you know, play a little harder, have a little bit more jam to their game. He's one of those guys. And, Paul, I'm wondering, what do you think Nick's going to bring to this squad? And where would you ideally see him suiting up for the Toronto Maple Leafs? Well, I think first and foremost, he's going to bring character. Uh, we know what he can do on the ice, but I think character is, is what he's going to, to bring. You're not a, a, a captain in the National Hockey League without having character. And you look at the current captain on the Maple Leafs, John Tavares, he's got it in spades. Same thing with Nick Foligno. They know their place on a team. And when you get a chance to play on a team now that uh, as good as Toronto is, uh, Nick will have no problem settling in and, and, and knowing his role. I, I don't think I've seen as much shared leadership on a team dating back to Pat Quinn's teams in the early 2000s where you'd look around you know, from one part of the room and there's Sundin and look across and there's Joe Neuendijk and, and you've got battlers like Shane Corson and, and Steve Thomas. I mean, I can just go on and on and Gary yeah. Roberts. We haven't seen it since then. This team has that. And, and then and there's an obvious skill set that goes with it. But it's his heart. It's his character. And where do I see him settling in? And most likely on the, uh, the John Tavares line with William on the right and, and, and uh, Nick on the left. Um, and, and there's going to be some movement as well uh, with interspersed parts. But uh, I see him providing time and space with those guys uh, and, and certainly um, uh, opening up some ice uh, as teams just clamp down defensively uh, in, in front of opposing goaltenders and, and uh, battling in the corners that uh, Nick is going to, to do that. Uh, just the fact he's been around for such a long time. Uh, and, and he's the stock of you know Mike Foligno, his brother Marcus. These are all good, good people, beyond good. And from my perspective, when we used to go down to Columbus or um, uh, any of these other places where these guys with the Felinas have played, they've always been more than accommodating. And we're not talking just the regular scripted answers, well thought out, um, delivered, articulate uh, pieces that we've been able to use. Uh, they're just good, good people. Uh, I was thrilled when when Kyle was able to uh, to acquire him. And I think it's going to be an important piece uh, if they're going to go uh, as deep as they think they're capable of doing and, and really complementing that elite skill that is on those top two lines. So, um, you know, depending, uh, you know, on, on the Zach Hyman situation, uh, he's going to fit in somewhere on one of those top two lines without a doubt. And, and I would hope it would be with the Tavares Nylander line uh, moving forward. No, I, I would love to see him, you know, suit up there as well. And another line that comes to mind for me is if you're looking for a defensive mix, maybe a Kerfoot Felino Hyman line would absolutely uh, drive teams nuts because you would never get that puck back. But uh, yeah, that would be great. The only the problem I'd have with that is is you know, where do you slot Galchenyuk? You know, do you leave him up with Matthews yeah. and Marner? Or, you know, because he did have really good success with Nylander and Tavares. That was great. Um, but he's, he's gotten the opportunity. Guy. What's that? He's a skilled guy. I, yeah. And, 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 and he knows, you know, in terms of, of his career, is it going to be here or is it going to be in Europe? Uh, and I think he's there's, there's a degree of pride in, in, in self-knowledge of how much skill is there, but there's a reason he's bounced around, I think, to seven, around seven teams. It's nine, now time to, to put up and to put up on a consistent basis. But again, he's part of a room with so much leadership. Uh, yeah. That rubs off. And now you get a chance to play with these elite players. Uh, I think it's done wonders for his confidence. Um, and. And uh, he, he's got to he's got to continue to put up. I remember Bob McGill talking. Uh, um, uh, I forget which player it was. It was a young player was bouncing between the mollies up and down and thought he deserved better. And, and Bob McGill was saying, "It'll come to me in a moment." But hey, you can make sixty-five grand playing, you know, Van at Rico Coliseum, or you can make six hundred and fifty grand playing just fifteen minutes up the street. But if it means you changing the way you play 
in terms of providing a little more grit and getting your nose dirty, then that's what you've got to do, and you've got to reinvent your game. And I think that might go with Galchenyuk uh, uh, right now, uh, but he, it, but still able, obviously, to contribute and get chances offensively. But you've got to be able to jump into that ditch and start digging, and um, and, and and that's that's where I think he's at. Uh, and you're right, we're, it's a nice problem to have. But if you're going to go deep in these in these playoffs, you're going to have to have a lot of depth. Um, it sounds like an oxymoron, but you've got to have depth. And um, right now, it, it's a nice problem to have uh, to add a Felino to this group. But uh, he just opens up, Nick does, I think, a little more time and space than maybe uh, a Galchenyuk does. But I think the way Galchenyuk has played, if he's continued to, to do that on a consistent basis, that he's certainly worthy of merit of playing somewhere in those top two lines. And that's kind of where you want him. You want to put him in a position to succeed. Uh, no worse than the third line, obviously, because I just don't see him on the fourth line. It just doesn't seem effective to me. Well, you look at this mix of forwards and defense going forward for the playoffs. Um, for me, it's the first time in a long time that we actually have legitimate death, uh, depth. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at Ben Hutton, uh, obviously a defensive ad. You you know, for all the things that you hear about Martin Marintz, and he's there as well, Rasmus Sandin, Timothy Lilligren, uh, Mac Holloway will probably get a look if it comes to that point. Uh, but even on the forwards, I mean, it's next man up, but you have that ability uh, to do that. And that's the and even in the goaltending department now with Riddich when Freddie's back, you have three solid goaltenders you can turn to as well. I don't think I've seen this much depth on a team in the salary cap era for the Toronto Maple Leafs. No, without a doubt not. Um, you'd argue what, you know, the greatest teams, well, uh, prior you know, I mean, after original six, um, but, you know, the 92, 93, 93, 94 Leafs team, you know, that was a two-year shot where they had that much balance of lines one through four, uh, some depth as well that they were able to bring in when needed, and three defensive pairings that, to me, they were so steady, so good, so tough to play against. You know, you, you think of great Leaf defensemen, uh, Bob Rouse's name doesn't come to mind immediately, but I'll tell you, he was irreplaceable on those two years with that hockey club. And, you know, went on to win Stanley Cups afterwards, went on to Detroit. Uh, he was just so tough, so dependable. And and that's why I like a, a Zach Bogosian, who's got a Stanley Cup now under his resume, who'd been through hell and back playing in Buffalo, was literally run out of town by their media, and then gets a chance where... He thought he was going to end up in Rochester, not a chance. Ends up eventually going to Tampa and, and just proving his worth because he fit in on a very good team uh, and provided them what they needed. Luke Shen comes to mind as well. Yep. But, you know, uh, these are important guys in a team concept, as you, you mentioned. So the, those Leaf teams in the early 90s, uh, coached by Pat Burns, and then, you know, you go a decade later and Pat Quinn um, in the balance they had there in the talent and the leadership and in, in the goaltending um you know Cujo and then eventually uh, Eddie Belfour uh, you've got to have that it starts in nets and you've got to have that consistently and and that's that's where I just get a little nervous but it's still a little too early and I think the guys they've got back there are going to be fine I think the team in front of them plays a uh, plays a way that's going to benefit what they do um it, and there's going to be a lot of pressure, but that that goes with it. And 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 Kyle Dubas has done, I think, the best he can with what we've got going right now, to to have this team up and ready to compete. And uh, and it, it's it's balanced with the entire lineup. And and as much as I like the guys up front, uh, I like Toronto's defense right now. And you mentioned a bunch of games. I I don't think it's going to get to Mac Hollowell, but there's a future a future player possibly that might. Uh, uh, get a chance, uh, you know, to c- continue to grow in a great learning s- uh, scenario uh, with the Toronto Marlies um, and, and come the route that many uh, current Leafs have done, and that's through the Marlies, um, play meaningful hockey in a great situation, um, facilities, all that goes with it, uh, and, and develop and, and to get a chance of when it happens that they're going to be able to come up and play for the big club. So, um, yeah, uh, balance top to bottom. Uh, I've just got to hope that the, the, the goaltending does its part and uh, that uh, Freddie eventually gets a chance to come back 
uh, and doesn't suffer a setback between now and uh, the middle of May, uh, because if he's able to come back and able to come back in a couple of weeks or so uh, and get some games under his belt, um, I, I like Toronto's chances uh, to, to, to do something. We'll see what it is. It's, it's only one team going to win the whole damn thing. So the odds it. are against everybody, right? <laughs> but it's nice for the first time in a long time to be able to talk the way we are talking and legitimately talk that uh, that, that 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 style that um, the squad has has a chance. They they have a chance. No, they have a very good chance. And I mean, Kyle Dubas has done his best to set the table. Now it's up to them to uh, to provide the meal for the fans and and really give us something to chew on going through all the different rounds and. I see them being able to win the North Division. I see them being able to win, you know, the King of the North, I guess, as everybody's kind of claiming it right now, yeah. uh, that title. So uh, it was thrown at me the other day um, by the Habs Unfiltered podcast. It'd be nice to see Toronto-Montreal in round number two of the playoffs. I know you're looking ahead and, you know, skipping past the team, but just imagine those two going head-to-head for the winner of the North Division, King of the North. It, the fan bases would be absolutely all over it. It'd be a great time, but... Uh, that is set, and we just have to wait to see what happens. But I've been an absolute Mike Hog here, Henny, and i got to pass it over to uh, my co-host, Mr. Jamie Anesty. He's got some questions he wants to fire off. Sure. So I'm going to press no, pause on myself and let him roll. Yeah, before we go, uh, the name just came out, Tyler Biggs. And I'm a big dad Biggs, talking yep. to Tyler. You know, hey, you know, you can be a rusher, crusher, or if not, you're going to be an usher. It's it's a, it's, a, it's a old-time cliche. And Ty, you know, a big guy, um, but obviously had some decent hands, uh, speak, you know, playing with, you know, JT and Oshawa and, and all that went with it. Um, just the mindset of saying, you know, 65 grand playing for the Marlies or 650 grand playing for the Maple Leafs, but you may have to change the way you you play. Um, and uh, maybe not good enough, uh, but maybe just not willing to, to change all that much. And, and uh, as a result, uh, he never made an impact in the National Hockey League. Good, good guy, great, great hockey player, and not everybody makes it. But anyway, Ty Dix, I got my memory back. Thanks anyway. <laughs> All right, Jamie, I'll uh, I'll be quiet here and let you uh, rattle off your uh, your questions here for Mr. Paul Hendrick. Uh, I also had I had Josh Levo actually. I thought he he was in the Marley system. I actually got to meet him a few times. I, oh, I also thought I also thought he was going to get his uh, his call up and and do his thing, but unfortunately now in Calgary after being in Vancouver. But um, you hit. And they on the head with a lot of questions that I had. Um, I actually watched the '93, '94 Leafs game the other night. Um, it's 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 really hard these days with the Sportsnet showing the replays of the '93, '94 series against yeah. Vancouver, against LA. Um, just just in the NHL rewind, like it's one of those top ten games that are played all, all the time. Um, right. so it's really hard. It's really hard to get that out of my head. The Gretzky high stick, the the '94. Um, game against Vancouver. Um, I actually have Rob, sorry, Bob Brooks in my top seven. Is there a guy on the Leafs right now? Um, I don't. I haven't seen Hutton play that much. Where he played in Anaheim, um, is he, he'll be the, the seventh defenseman. Uh, maybe if Dermott draws out of the lineup or um, whoever Keith decides to replace Hutton with. Yeah. Can you compare Hutton to one of the defensemen that played in in um, in ninety three ninety four, like maybe a Bob Rose or? Um, uh, look at, yeah, that's a good question. I, I, I'm trying. To, listen, Ben 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 has three hundred seventy five NHL games as a defenseman on his resume. That alone speaks for itself. Um, that kind of experience, and, and and I remember Ron Wilson telling me. Uh, when he coached and Randy Carlisle as well, you know, you've got the, the demarcation line uh, for NHL defense certification is 350 games. You get to that, uh, then you've you've withstood uh, trial and error. And if you're still around doing that, then you are you are a very serviceable part. And I think that's what Ben's going to be. The other thing is. You know, we're talking about where he might fit in. You're mentioning a couple of the, you know, third-pairing guys. It's a grind to get as far as this team knows it's capable of getting, and you're going to need D. Uh, you're just going to need D. A, you're coming 
out of a regular season, not where you've got three or four days off after a long Western Canadian road trip. You're playing every second day, uh, and you're going to be doing that right into mid-May, and then it just ramps up again to another level every second day. So he's going to find a spot that will allow him to fit in and I think play fairly regularly. He's been around the league long enough. He brings size. He's got a nasty component to him if need be, and and uh, I just think it was a valuable depth acquisition by Kyle uh, at the deadline. To compare him, you know, I don't, it's hard to say. I mean, you know, you know Ben Hutton, Bob Rouse, I, I don't know if, where I could compare him with those guys uh, in 93 and 94. Maybe Sorry. Uh, yeah, no, Maybe no, no. Within the top seven, I have LaFave, Rouse, Berhowski, Miranoff, Ellett, Gill, and McCown. I'm, I'm, I've talked to each one of those defensemen over the last year or so, part of offside. Yeah. Um, that's my top seven. Um, yeah. I think that I think that was the top seven in 93. Can you mm-hmm. compare maybe Hutton to a Berhowski? I, yeah. I, 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 I think he skates better than Drake. Um, okay. I mean, there's size sort of similarities. Um but yeah, he if Ben were to be all of a sudden added to that team back back then, he would be a third pairing seventh guy. Um, you know, Miranoff tree, uh, as they call him, uh, he he you know bounced in and around that and provided that kind of depth as well. Um, but the, you know, those those three defensive pairings back then, there wasn't a number one, there wasn't a Shea Weber. Uh, or you, you know what I mean? A legitimate number one. We're all legitimate two threes, but it was across the board. No matter who Burnsy sent out, each one of those pairings was capable of doing what the previous pairing did. And it's nice defensively, and especially if you're the goaltender, Felix Potvin, to have that kind of insurance in front of you. The maturation, the the nastiness, the compete level and tempo that goes with playing the position and going deep into the postseason. It's nice to have that in front of you. And those Leaf teams, each of those years, with exception of that Vancouver series, every series went seven games. I mean, they were absolute wars. Um, you know, I mean, it just caught up with them, you know, two years into the run against the Canucks. They just ran out of gas. I mean, they were up, what, two or three nothing in game six in Vancouver, and the Canucks just came back and, and took it from, I know the Leafs had nothing left in the tank at that point. And that was the product of playing. Uh, a in that division, uh, the Norris, and then coming out of it each of those years, but going seven games in uh, as hard as they did. Um, so you need depth, and that leads me back to the acquisition of Ben and, and just how important he's going to be if this club's going as deep as they think they can go. Uh, they're going to need him, and, and he's certainly going to get playing time uh, to help spell off the others, whether it be Travis Dermott, uh, whether it be Zach Bogosian, or uh, you know, heaven forbid a, a key injury to any of those guys because the, the aches and pains and, and injuries are going to happen. It's just a fact of life. Uh, a couple more things. Again, I don't mean to take up much of your time. Last, oh, it's week, okay. uh, last week when um, the Leafs didn't have Matthews during the Jets game there, um, mm-hmm. Twitter blew up the next day and mm-hmm. people were saying, oh, we lost because we didn't have Matthews. There was no idea. No identity. Identity. Um, yeah. I had um, on my show Wednesday. Um, I had Dave McElwain on last week. I know oh, it's yeah. a cap. I know it's a cap era. I know you've got to deal with the cap. The cap right now is eighty-five million. Um, but Dave was saying, like, you know, with one guy being out of the lineup, that that's not your. That's not the whole. I'm trying to think of the word, but that's not your whole. That's not the guy. You, truly need to rely on. Like, yeah. people the next day were like, well, we had, there was an identity issues. Well, Dave was saying last week, I know 93, 94, there was no cap, but you look down the lineup. From Gilmore, all, I know guys got traded because once Fletcher came in, he was trying to make, build his team. People were complaining, well, why did you trade Grant Fuhrer? Well, when you traded Grant Fuhrer, you got you got a guy by the name of Dave Anderchuk, not a bad <laughs> player. Right, so yes, you lost. You lost Grant Fuhrer, a Stanley Cup winner, um, and maybe Pot Fan was lost. I've talked to many people. Um, I'll get into the goalie situation here in one second, but is there another guy that you know that, that people should look at and say, okay, maybe he should have stepped up? 
Because there's also the issue too, Paul, where people are saying, what's what's the point of even having Joel Thornton on the Toronto Maple Leafs right now? He's got nine points. He's 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 slow as molasses. He's a gray beard. He shouldn't be on the team. And this mm-hmm. is coming from Leafs fans that wear the jerseys in Toronto. Yeah. And Dave told me. Dave told me. He goes, Mark Osborne. Like I've talked to him many times. Bill Berg. He, yes, Mandeville. I'm looking yeah. at the list right now. It's John Cullen, Glenn oh. Anderson. I'm, I'm, every year I'm part of a, a charity talking to Glenn Anderson. And and look at the teams in the, with the Oilers. Say if Wayne Gretzky didn't play in one of those 80s mm-hmm. Cup teams and they lost. Sure enough, the next day, oh, we lost because we didn't have Wayne Gretzky. We lost because we didn't have Matthews. Right? Matthews right now is taking time. He mentioned last night he had, he had the wrist injury. He was taking time mm-hmm. off. He was, he, that's what you need That's what you need to have happen. You need to rest you guys to have that proper run moving forward. And yeah. is, there, is there a guy that, um, besides Matthew, that needs to really maybe step up, if he hasn't already, to really fill that void? Um, yeah. it, it could happen again. Like, we could lose Matthews again. And for Twitter to blow up and say, Oh, we lost because we didn't have Matthew. Yeah. And, and, you know, so just touch on, touch on that a little bit. Yeah, JT's been in the center of this, too. People saying, hey, yeah. you know, what are we spending, yeah. $11 million. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Listen, you look at his numbers and his point-per-game ratio for his entire career. He's basically a point-a-game guy. He's a model of consistency. Uh, they don't see all the other things that get done beyond beyond the goals. I mean, he had 47 his first year with the Maple Leafs, and, um, and, and that's all fine and dandy. Um, but what I look at, and you asked me about the acquisition, or when, you didn't ask, but we talked about the acquisition of, of Nick Foligno. What stands out <clears throat> first? Well, character. So that, to me, is character. Okay. And, and, and JT, uh, Jill Thornton, another JT, character. Yes, you can argue uh, his speed, and argue legitimately his speed isn't where it was, but he still fills a role on this team. There's there's a role needed in that dressing room, and things inevitably are going to get difficult, much uh, as they did in the past, where you know they played a, a Carolina team that buckled down with David Ayers and Nets, and uh, and and you know how do you regroup from traumatic losses like that and traumatic losses to into a you know, a tough COVID-stricken team like Vancouver. Veteran guys who've been around like that for a long time prove their worth. So there's as much to do off the ice and in the room as what we see on the ice. Uh, I think as this team moves forward, depending on the matchup situation, that Joe may be a healthy scratch. It just might come down to that. Um, and, And... that's not a lack of respect. It's just it is what it is given the current matchup, and you go with the best 12 forwards that you can on a particular night. And it's nice to have the depth and be able to do that. Joe isn't playing for the money. He's making a minimum of $700,000 a year for an opportunity to be in a position to win a Stanley Cup after, you know, in a career that's just been outstanding. And the, the ability to still play in this league at his age is full credit to who he is. So I love the fact that he's on this team, and I'm not going to critique him one way or the other. Uh, but for any particular player fun to step up, no, it's a team game. Um, you know, I mean, you know, Mitch goes uh, a few games consecutively without producing a point, and, and, and Twitter blows up. <laughs> but I've always said it on Twitter, and I haven't been on in a while, just for taking a deep breath, but Leafs Nation has to take a deep breath, and they have to stop micro-analyzing every shift, every game, and look at the big picture in how the situation is being managed, massaged, to get everybody up and ready for um, what's going to happen next, and that's to make the postseason. That's the first prior. They're going to do that. Then you want to be as healthy as you possibly can, that's the second part, and and that's where this team uh, is in is in right now. That's that's the process that is, and uh, I don't look at any one particular player. William Nyland is another guy that everybody likes to jump on. Yep. I just look at William's numbers. I mean, he's a tremendous hockey player. Then you're talking about trading him for defensive help. This has been going on. Well, if you trade him, you've got to replace him. And, same thing circles back to Nazem Kadri. You trade him, you've got to replace him. 
it's not as easy to do. So to answer your question, is there one particular player that might need to step up? No, I think it's a team concept. Um, and I agree totally that the focus shouldn't have been on Austin while he wasn't here. But let's be honest, uh, Austin's probably one of the top five players on the entire planet. And if he's not in the lineup, then uh, he's missing. And to get back to those earlier teams, you mentioned a, a name, John Cullen. If you were to ask anybody, who, who's Toronto's second-line center on those good Toronto Maple Leaf teams? We know who the first center was. He's John Cullen. Um, you know, top five in scoring on the team. But we're talking about 35, 45 points, but he was a very serviceable part. But it was a team concept. So John Cullen's your second-line center. It's not John Tavares. Um, and just shows you how good this hockey team is. Um, so... Um, yeah, no, no one particular player. I, I, Doug Gilmore been out uh, back then. I, I might have argued differently that, oh boy, but this current Leafs team has enough on it. Uh, but again, let's be honest, they couldn't lose a player like Austin for a long term and, and not miss his impact. Uh, much the same as Jake Muzzin getting hurt against Columbus last summer. Uh, once he went down, I knew there weren't enough dominoes in the deck uh, to get the job done Uh in the postseason he just provided so much and not just to what he did on the ice just how he facilitated everything around him uh, and made you know others stronger i mean there was more pressure on justin hall uh, morgan it just was too much for the rest of that group to handle um and uh, the die was cast so um it's it's a team game uh, i'm going to repeat myself again uh, no one player is as important as the other some are certainly very important, but I think it's all congruent to each other as to, to how this team progresses, and let's just hope everybody can stay relatively healthy because it's it's not going to be an easy easy grind to get to where they want to get to. Can we touch up on Jack Campbell a little bit? Um, yeah. Again, I'm, I'm just looking down the list here, the 93-94 teams, and I mentioned a lot of people were upset, like Dad was upset. I talked to I talked to him about this every day, and they had Rick Wamsley, Damian Rhodes, Felix Potvin. Can you see some some similarities in maybe Potvin's game to Jack Campbell? Right now, we don't know. I don't know if you know and what you know about the Anderson situation, but right now, I'm thinking it's Jack Campbell's net to lose. Let right Anderson now it is. Do it. Yeah, right yeah. now it is. Let Anderson do his thing if he's... If there's an injury, if there's something in the head that's not going properly, if the gears aren't just if the gears aren't uh, moving properly, let him figure that out. Um, Jack Campbell, you know, it, it Toronto's in, the Toronto media is it, a tough place, and he, <laughs> yes, he won he won an eleven and zero. You know, you and Joe Bowen know the media quite well in Toronto, and I I'm confident in Jack Campbell. If there similarities in Jack than Felix, and we had. We had Rick Walmsley, Damien Rhodes, Darren Cooper, mm -hmm. the, the backups that Toronto had in those 93-94 playoffs. Yeah. Um, well, is, is there yeah, similarities there? And, well, and can you... Yeah, sorry. I don't know. I, I, I know Cliff, when, when they traded Grant Fear to Buffalo, the Leafs, he, 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 quote, unquote, and I'm not paraphrasing, we rolled the dice on Cat. They rolled the dice. This is a 21, 22-year-old kid who, you know, had some success in the American Hockey League in St. John's. Success. They went to a Calder Cup final and lost in Game 7 to uh, to Adirondack, Glen Falls. And they were gambling. Um, but they also knew that they had a really strong team in front of this kid. Uh, and I, I talked about those six, seven defensemen and just the the strength of the, the lines and balance in front. So you have that safety net as well. Uh, I, I think this team has that up front as well, and, and I think that is going to be of, of major help to whoever goaltender is in, and whether it's going to be Campbell or Riddick uh, in the event that, uh, that Freddie's not able to go. I just think the fact that Freddie's physically able to get on the ice and work with goaltending coach yeah. Steve Briere and continue to keep work toward that process. We're mid-April. Um, the playoffs begin four weeks from now um, and, 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 and I would think that the plan is and I don't know any more than you do 
but the plan is to get Freddie ready to get some games in before the postseason begins and give him an opportunity to find a sense of rhythm. And if he's healthy and ready to go, uh, he will be more than motivated, not only personally to prove a lot of things, um, but he'll be able to, to do so in a situation with a team that will allow him to succeed. Uh, I, I just want to see that. Uh, barring that, uh, I've, I've got no problem uh, with Jack or Dave um, Manning back there uh, and being given a chance to get on a, on a, on a roll consecutively. And Jack won 11 consecutive games. That is really hard to do. Um, I, I think he's capable of, of winning more games than losing and giving this team the chance to win at the next level if that, in fact, is deemed necessary. And if they've got to go to Dave Riddick off the bench uh, as well, I think that's a nice safety net. That was a valuable, valuable acquisition, uh, regardless of what it costs the team uh, to get him in here um, uh, to, to provide that kind of insurance as well. So to, comp- you know, to compare Jack to Felix, uh, hard to say, uh, Felix was a legit number one. I mean, he took the ball and ran with it. Um, but he had he had a great team in front of him as well, and a tremendous goalie. But Jack's a pretty good goalie too. So we'll wait and see. Uh, a lot of not so called marquee goaltenders have won the Stanley Cup before, uh, but have fit in well within a team concept. Uh, um, you know, the Osborns, the uh, the the. Uh, the Vernons. These guys, you know, not necessarily household names, but they've all got Stanley Cup rings. And um, and, 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 and I, I think Jack's very capable of, of fitting in in that role, given the team and the support that he has in front of him. Look at, look at Jordan, Jordan Biddington. The St. Louis Blues were, looked like they were out of it in January, turned it around. Jordan took the job over Jake Allen and, and ran with it. So, mm-hmm. um, in a different market, you don't see Twitter blowing up. That's just the way it is. It's Toronto, the media. Um, James mentioned before, he's talked to people connected with the L.A. Kings, and we know the situation in L.A. Jack Campbell was behind Jonathan Quick, who won a Stanley Cup. Jack was in that mix when they played the Blackhawks and all those teams in the playoffs. and So he's got that. he's got that in his head. He's got, he was part of that organization um when the kings won so um yeah. that's all i have that's all i have to say paul thanks i'll pass along to james but uh, thank you very much for joining myself and james on uh, on today's uh conversation well, yeah listen thank you and i applaud uh, i applaud your passion gentlemen uh, all good educated questions and yeah. and again we none of us have any answers this is the beauty of sport um, but I'll, I'll say this, this is a good hockey team, uh, this Maple Leaf team. Leafs Nation, you have every reason to feel excited. Um, but that's that's the great thing. The Boston Red Sox finally won a World Series. The Chicago Cubs finally won a World Series. The joy was incredible. Uh, but it's a journey, and for some franchises, the journey might be longer than most. But, boy, when you get there, it's going to feel damn good. I was 10 years old yep. the last time they won. That just gives you an idea as to where I am chronologically. Uh, but this is this is a team worthy of getting behind and, and supporting, and um, we'll see how it all turns out. Uh, a lot of questions. It's, it's just a difficult championship to win. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Cubs fan. In 2016, it uh, was a great thing to see, and uh, – mm-hmm. Now uh, all I have, I I got to see Tom Petty live front row. Huh. Now it's now the only thing left is to see the Toronto Maple Leafs win the Stanley Cup, um, and then maybe I can die a happy man. So. <laughs> well, don't die <laughs> last. Yeah, that's my last. Uh, well, it's my bucket list to be complete. Uh, but then you then you've got an asterisk. People have said, well, if Toronto wins the Stanley Cup, they won it during a COVID year when it was. Uh, so it is what it is. Like once we, it's when at the end of the day, Paul. Lord, I've actually touched the actual Stanley Cup. It's going to yep. be the same Stanley Cup that Tavares. I'm not jinxing it. I'm knock on wood. <laughs> but when 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 John Tavares lifts the Stanley Cup, it's going to be the same Lord Stanley that all the other teams in the last hundred years lifted. So put COVID aside. Toronto wins the Stanley Cup. It's the same damn thing. So hey. leave it at that. 2013 Chicago Blackhawks. I've seen Dave Boland's ring. Nobody's <laughs> saying they only played a 48 game. Yeah, I, that's it. I got the meat. I got the meat clip brief actually a couple times on 
different occasions, and it's too bad what happened to him, but uh, I saw sea books as well during mm-hmm. a fishing event, and uh, it's 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 remarkable. Now it's just time for the Toronto Maple Leafs to win the win there. So. Yeah, well, don't go on, don't go on a fishing trip with any of those Blackhawk rings because those rings are big enough to sink a boat. Oh yes, yes. Bigger, well, I don't, I don't imagine they're bigger than the pearl that uh, that Rose dropped in the ocean there during the, the Titanic movie. That was that was a huge. That was a huge big rock. You're right. Yeah. Yes, sir. Well, Paul, I want to very much so thank you for uh, for joining us as well, and I want to leave it with the. Uh, Everybody's got a Paul Hendrick moment. I don't know if you remember this one, but you were in Halifax, and the Leafs were in Bedford at the uh, BMO Center, and I was the guy that walked up and asked not only for your autograph, and you you kind of chuckled at that. I still have the jersey signed in a frame for that, but then I asked if I could hold the mic and interview you, and it started a long line of people wanting to do the same things, and you were very accommodating. You uh, answered all the questions I had, and you know, took a moment to actually speak with me. So I wanted to say. Thank you for that. I didn't get to on that day, but it was absolutely awesome. And I just, uh, I love the fact that everybody has a Henny story and it always goes with the smile, the accommodating, and just how honest you are with your answers and the way you treat people. So I know as Leafs Nation, we miss you. We miss leading into games with you, but uh, I know you're still around and I hope they do win the cup. And I don't see why not, why your name wouldn't appear on Lord Stanley's mug for everything you've done for Leafs Nation and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Well, that's a nice compliment, and I'll just compliment those training camps out in Halifax slash Bedford, and especially the first year with the fans lining up at about 4 a.m. right around that building from the parking lot to get in. Things were a little different the following year because, you know, the Leafs and that group had an idea as to better handle us and accommodate all those fabulous fans. We had hockey fans from the entire Maritimes who would come over from Prince Edward Island, Fredericton. I can go on and on there for a chance to see those guys in person it was an absolute pleasure and that includes training camps in newfoundland as well best hockey fans in the world in maritime canada and i went to Fredericton high school for two years um the passion uh whether it be for montreal boston or toronto especially out east is so strong and uh we felt loved and welcomed it was just a privilege uh to be able to mingle with all you people talk hockey and, and, and again pose for pictures and anything that went with it um it was one of the highlights of my career oh absolutely well paul thank you very much for joining us and if the leafs do happen to capture lord stanley's mug we'll have to have you back on and uh, talk about all that gone on through those playoff rounds will do would love to do it all right, thank you very much, well, ladies and gentlemen. That is Offside for today. This is Offside Hockey Talk, where hockey comes to talk. <laughs>